You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. But I say, <clears throat> we are going over uh, this uh, for the next seven weeks or so. We're going to be looking at six, but I say statements from Jesus that are found in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, and they're extremely rich, incredibly powerful. So uh, let me ask you a question before we jump into the first, but I say, um, what does a good person look like? What does a good person look like? Um, <clears throat> would, let me ask you it a different way. Who's going to go to heaven? I just went up a whole other level, didn't I, when asking that question. Who's going to go to heaven? Um, <clears throat> you know, like people who go to heaven are a good person, is it just those people who recycle? You know, those people who eat organic food, have a small green Footprint. Is that who's, who's going to go? How about people go to church? If you go to church every weekend, are you a good person? Does that make you a good person? Um, how about uh, people who, who maybe uh, live their life a certain way where they don't hurt anyone else? Are you a good person if you do that? Or people who tell the truth most of the time? Are you a good person if you do that? Um, or how about someone who doesn't blow their cool? Someone who doesn't get angry? What is a good person look like. So Jesus has this conversation with the spiritual leaders in Matthew chapter 5, and the whole conversation is about what is a good person. And these spiritual leaders have one version, it's a twisted version, of what a good person looks like, and Jesus comes to this scene, and he introduces a whole different type of good person, and they don't like it because it doesn't make them look good. And Jesus says, no, this is what a good person looks like. So that's, that's the message today. That's what's happening. And uh, these, these guys are the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And Jesus, and they say, this is what a good person looks like. And Jesus shows up and says, no, this is what a good person looks like. So uh, I want you to hear this. Here's the primary big idea today. Here it is. God cares about your inside. Can you uh, tell this person next to you and just tell them God cares about your inside? Just tell the person... <clears throat> You know how long it took me to find a picture of an irate driver without, you know, holding up all fingers and not just one? Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, I don't know if you've ever been on you know, I-25 or something like that, and, and, uh, and you know, people get upset. And, uh, you know, in the snowstorm that just happened a couple of nights ago, I was visiting a pastor friend. Um, <clears throat> I'm so excited to share that, guys, with you. We're going to be going to Israel in a few years, but I'm not going to share everything with you. So anyway, I'm, I'm visiting with a pastor friend, and, and we're on, on 25, and the snow was coming down, and, and it's really, really weird when you see a car do like a 180 or a 360 in the snow and seeing their headlights on you while you're driving on I-25. It's like, this is not natural. This is not supposed to be like this. But uh, what, what just blows your cool? What just lifts your lid? Um, are you one of these people that just lose it? You know, are you sitting by someone who loses it? I, you know, sometimes people who, who you know, you, they get upset easily, and everybody in the house knows that, so we're all super careful about, you know, saying certain things and going to certain subjects and being careful because we don't want you to be upset. And that says a lot about your character. It says a lot about you. You know, God wants you to control your temper. An even-tempered person is pleasing to God. God wants you to control your temper. Anger, anger is a normal emotion. 
There's nothing wrong with anger, but anger can lead to sin, and anger can be a foothold to the devil, and anger can control you. But you see anger in the Bible. You see Jesus flipping over tables because they were, they were taking advantage of the sacrificial system, and they were selling some things for the sacrificial system, and he got angry. And you see that in Scripture. You see God get angry at times. But there's a different kind of anger that gets a hold of you, and that could affect your character it could affect other relationships. It could affect your, your willingness, your desire to reconcile. It could affect your relationship with God. So in Matthew chapter 5, actually Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Some people have said if you live your life purely just based on Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, that will be enough for you. This is a famous sermon, and it involves Jesus going up to a mountainside. So verse 1 says it like this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and what did he do? And he, he sat down. Now, that may not mean a big deal for you or for me, but if you were a Jew, if you were a Hebrew, the fact that Jesus sat down would be very significant. It continues to read, his disciples came to him and, and he began to teach them. So you need to understand, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus goes, and this is his position, he goes up to the mountainside, and what does he do? Sits down. Now, the reason that's significant is because if you were a good Hebrew you would understand the fact that he's sitting down is communicating a message. It's communicating a message. It's a little bit like you coming to church. You came to church, and you, you know if you're familiar with church a little bit, you're like, okay, we're going to sing some songs, and eventually we're going to sit down, and some guy's going to come out, and he's going to speak, and then we might do something afterwards, and then it's time to go home. So you're kind of like, okay, this is the routine. This is what happens. You know, I grew up as a Catholic, and I was not a good Catholic by any stretch, I'll tell you that. I didn't go to church very much, but I could recite the whole service to you. I knew exactly what was going to happen, when it was going to happen, and all that stuff. It's kind of like that. Jesus sits down, and when he sits down, he's communicating. And to understand Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, you have to go all the way back to Moses on Mount Sinai. Moses is believed, he went up to Mount Sinai, up to the top, the burning bush experience, and God speaks to him. He's up there for 40 days, 40 nights, and he's transcribing the law that God himself is giving to him. And, and other, most Hebrew writings would say that Moses was sitting down. Moses was sitting down. So if you were a good Jew, a good Hebrew, and if you were standing, and if I were a rabbi, here's what rabbis would do. Rabbis would read the scripture, typically on a table. We'd read the scripture to you, and I'd read the scripture to you. That's the, that's the written law. The Torah is known as the first five books in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I would read the written law to you, and then what I would do, if I were a good rabbi, is I would sit down, and then I would give you the the oral law, and I would share with you everything that I know by memory, everything that has been passed on to me from other rabbis, and I would credit them as a reference as well, and I would sit down and I would share the authority that is passed on to me from other rabbis to you. In fact, this seat right here is known as the seat of Moses or Moses' seat. And throughout generations, all the way from 
Mount Sinai, there's Moses' seat, and it's incorporated in the Jewish culture. What does Jesus do in, in Matthew chapter 5? He goes up to the mountainside, and he sits down. Okay? So now, what is he going to share while he's sitting down? That's the big question. What is he going to share? Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Here's where he starts. He says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So right out of the gates, you see Jesus saying, you know, everything in the Old Testament, it's significant. There's not an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. He's God. And he's, he's, he's loving, and he's also, you know, holy, and, and he, he's all, and, and, and Jesus says, I can even fulfill everything. And then verse 18 says, for, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. That's a pretty profound statement, boy. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands, that's, you know, the practices is such a key word. Whoever practices, that means live it out. It's, all, it's always easier to teach someone than to live it out. It's always easier to talk than to walk. You know what I'm saying? And Jesus says, whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And here comes the hammer, guys, verse 20. And while he's saying this, you have to understand, he's sitting down, and there's people, there's Pharisees and teachers of the law that are standing by him at a, at a position of influence. Everyone else is listening. And Jesus says this, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I can only imagine these Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These are the guys who have grown up in church. These are the guys who know the Torah by memory. These are the guys who got like first place in Bible quiz. And you know what I'm saying? These are the guys who are in, in prestigious positions in the church and, and people look up to them. And they're, they're, I can only imagine them just kind of watching Jesus and he's taking his seat, the Moses seat, and he's sharing with them. And then he turns and he just kind of you know, does his jab kind of thing. And he says, unless your righteousness surpasses those guys right there, you're not going to go to heaven. How do you think that made them feel? You know, they're probably like, hey, 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 shouldn't you be pointing at, at them, Jesus? What are you doing pointing over here? <clears throat> what are you doing pointing over here? The Pharisees and, and uh, teachers of the law, um, they, uh, not all of them were, were bad, but a lot of them were bad. And they have certainly a bad reputation in that uh, they would take the law and they would twist it. <clears throat> like taking a good thing. The law is good. God's word is good. The commandments are good, and they're meant to be there as, as, as our a way of living and our best life, and, and that's what it is, and, and how to live a great life. That's what it's there for. And they've taken a really good thing, and they've twisted it, and they've used it to oppress other people. They used it to exert their superiority they look at other people in a condescending way, and they've used it for their gain. So they've totally distorted 
the word of God. So I want you to hear this. There's a very short step between law and legalism and between authority and superiority. It's a very short step. And you have to be careful. If you're one of these people who've been fortunate to grow up in the church, you have to be careful. Watch your heart. Because you need the grace of God just like anyone else. I need the grace of God just like anyone else. I'm a sinner saved by grace. It's by God's grace that I'm standing up here on stage. And sometimes, you know, your knowledge, you can, you can grow in knowledge, and that pleases God. God wants you to grow in knowledge, but he wants you to remember who you are and where you come from as well. You can read scripture. You can go to church a million times or whatever, and then start to think, I'm just a little bit better than the person I work with. I'm just a little bit better than the, people, the person on my right or left. I'm just a little bit better than the ones I go to school with. I'm just a little bit better. And then you start thinking of yourself a little bit more superior. It's like you're sitting in a church service and you think, gosh, this is a really good message. message. I wish my sister was here to hear this. That's a really good message. I wish my neighbor, my, my, my coworker needs to be here right now. Wow, he really needs it. And you totally exempt yourself from the possibility that maybe God has a message for you. Maybe God's not done with you. Maybe you don't, maybe you're still growing. Maybe there's more for you and it doesn't matter whether what your age is or how many churches you've grown up in and all the positions you had on stage or on a board or in a teaching position. Maybe God's just not done with you, right? Maybe. Turn to the person next and just tell them God's not done with you. Can you do that? <clears throat> God's not done with you. Don't get in an argument about it. Just tell them God's not done with you. You don't have to say anything in response. <clears throat> really short step. And, and here comes Jesus' famous word. So you have to remember the audience. Jesus is sitting down, and he turns around and says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you're not going to get to heaven. Now, now who, Jesus went from like talking to the people to them. And he's still talking to them because look what happens. Verse 21, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. So Jesus is quoting Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20, do not murder. And he's saying, you know what? <clears throat> you have seen people sit on this Moses seat lots of times, and they talk about the Old Testament laws. So I want you to know that, that that's right. You've heard that. You've heard that. But here it comes. Only three words. Let's go to verse 22. Go ahead, and I want you guys to read verse 22. First three words out loud. First three words. Here it goes. Oof. We're going to unpack that in a little bit. Did you hear what Jesus did, though? He quoted Old Testament. <clears throat> You've heard, do not murder. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. That's not good. You go to court. You know, that's not the bad thing. You've heard them say that. But I say. But I say, let's keep reading here, and we'll go back to that. <clears throat> that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Did you notice Jesus, Jesus talks about anger? Like, where did that come up? I thought we were talking about murder. Where did that come up? Come up? <clears throat> and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, you low life, you punk, <clears throat> shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. 
That's not like Arizona. That's like the fiery hell. Arizona got snow. Did you guys hear that? That's crazy. Verse 23. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, look, this is so important, guys. Check it out. God's, Jesus is connecting our offering, our relationship with God, with our relationship with our, our friends, family, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. It's like you come to church and you're, you're lifting your hands and you're worshiping God and you're singing Amazing Grace or whatever song we're doing and you're just caught up in worship. And right in the middle of caught up in worship, Jesus saying, if you remember something right there, here's, here's what you need to do. Leave your offering there before the altar and go first to be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. You know what pleases God? When you're at church and you're worshiping God and you're singing about God's grace and all of a sudden God speaks to you and say, you know, you weren't very gracious to him. You weren't very gracious to her. You know, I love you. I want you to love him like I love you. You know what would please God is when you're done with church and you go off in your car and you pull out your cell phone and you call, maybe you text that person or you call that person and you say, Hey, I just want to make things right, and forgive me if I did this. If I, if I crossed that line, forgive me. I want peace in our relationship. That pleases God. Or if you took care of it on Monday, you went to the office, and there's like a little thing between you and that office mate, and, and you know it, and you feel it, you know what I'm saying? And you decide at the office, and you go up to that person, and you say, hey, uh, <clears throat> I just I care about our relationship. I don't want anything. I, I realize we, we don't agree and I want you to know that we may not agree, but I really value you. I really care about you. That's an act of worship to God. Your relationships matter to God. Verse 25, make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you were with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you've paid up the last cent. So Jesus is talking about a couple of things. He starts talking about anger. And then he's also asserting his, exposing his authority by sitting down, by saying the words, but I say. So, again, going back to Moses on Mount Sinai, you have the written Torah and you have the oral Torah, okay? And everyone, every Jew, every Hebrew understands that. It's read and then it's spoken. Now, there's something there <coughs> called authority. You need to have a certain authority to sit on Moses' seat. Not anyone can sit on Moses' seat. In fact, some, some Hebrew writings would say that even to sit there, you've had to have been endorsed by two other rabbis. Two other rabbis needed to come together and lay their hands on you and endorse you. There had to be these two witnesses. You know, many people said, you know, Jesus had two witnesses. One was John the Baptist. John the Baptist saying, this is the one I was telling you about. And you know who the other one was? Remember when, John the, when Jesus came out of the water? God spoke from heaven and he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So Jesus sits down, <clears throat> every Hebrew knows there's the written Torah, 
the oral Torah. And now there's an order that you have to understand. If you were a Hebrew, you would understand because this is the way it was set up. This is the order. God would speak to Moses, and then he would speak to, to, to Joshua, and then he would speak to the elders, and then the prophets, and then the prophets would speak to the great assembly. That's the order. That's the way things are done. They've always been done that way. They've always been done that way. But Jesus, what does he do? He sits down, and he says, you have heard this, and then he's saying, but I say. What is he doing? That's bold. That's audacious. Jesus is doing, he's introducing something brand new. You've heard Moses say this, but I say this. Everybody understands the order. Everybody understands the written Torah and the oral Torah. But when Jesus does this, he's introducing something radical. And here's what he's introducing. My Father in heaven speaks to me and I speak to you. God in heaven speaks to Jesus and here's the word of God. It's coming out in live time. And Jesus has given him this authority. In other words, Jesus is the new Moses. He's the new Moses, and he's, he's offering it for the first time. And he's saying, this is, I'm sitting down at Moses, and he's saying, you've heard this. Nobody's ever done that, but I say. He's exposing his spiritual authority. That's why everyone around him, including the Pharisees and teachers of the law, were like, who does this guy think he is? But I say. It's like if I read something to you and I read it to you and then I say something like, you know what, but I say you don't really have to do it quite like this. You, this is what is really important. And then you would be scratching your head thinking, I don't know who this pastor think he is. What kind of authority does he have? Or going to a basketball game or something like that and, <clears throat> and, and, and me walking out in the court and saying, we're going to change the rules in the game. You no longer have to make a basket. You have to do this. And and because I say this, and you guys, every, the people in the stands are like, who does this guy, this is the way we've always done it. What is he talking about? Jesus is sitting down, the new Moses. The word of God is now live straight from God the Father right through Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the very word of God. That's what Revelation calls him, the word of God. And he's delivering it in live time. And if you were a Hebrew, you would be going crazy. You would be irate. You would be in shock. What, who in the world does this guy think he is? And Jesus does this. Here's what Jesus is saying. You know, he says, you know, we talk about, you talk about murder, but I say, if you have anger in your heart, if you have anger in your heart, Jesus is saying, you can talk about, you know, murder and you can teach about it. You know, come from your from your lips. You can present it right in front of you to people. And then Jesus goes to this other place and Jesus says, but I say if you have anger in your heart. If you have anger, remember what I said earlier, God cares about your inside. Jesus goes to this personal place of internal integrity, internal purity, internal holiness, 
this internal surrender, this transformation, this place of consecration, this place of cleansed heart. And he says, God cares about what's inside of you. You can teach and you can tell everyone about how to live, but I say, God cares about your heart. And he does. I like the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it. He said, the keeping of the law turns out to be an inerrantly and self-refuting aim. Rather, the inner self must be changed. Trying merely to keep the law is not wholly unlike trying to make an apple tree bear peaches by tying peaches to its branches. It's not going to happen, right? It's an apple tree. It produces apples. And Jesus is saying you got to go to the root. You've got to go to the seed. And if the seed is right, you don't have to worry about the fruit. Jesus unpacks this again in Matthew chapter 23. And he, same, same message. Here it is. Jesus says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are, what church you are? Full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. <clears throat> Anybody here, like, like, I'll just tell you, Grace and I, um, we're a little bit different when it comes to loading the dishwasher. Um, I am the guy who, like, put the plates go on one end. The plates, don't, the plates can't go anywhere. The plates go here. I'm the guy who washes everything before I put it in the dishwasher. Anybody else like that? Some of you, like, you have spaghetti and all over, so you just put the whole thing, meatballs and all, and you just throw it all in there. I can't do that. I just can't. And I'm the guy who cleans it. And I'm the guy who, like, when I get it out, I'm, like, looking. And, you know, some of you are okay with just a whole bunch of spots and all kinds of stuff. And you're like, you know what? We grew up on the ranch and the farm. I don't care. But I, and I, I grew up on the ranch, too. But uh, um, <laughs> there's a part of me, like, there's, like, I'm okay with a few dots or spots. You know what I mean? But <laughs> I'm not okay with, like, a whole bunch. And, and, and you look at that and you think like that. Well, that's all right. And <clears throat> but for me, the inside of the cup is pretty clean. It's pretty clean has to be pretty clean. Um, <clears throat> I brought a cup with you here from Taco Bell. So <clears throat> Jesus is saying, here's what you guys are like. <clears throat> You're so careful to look good in front of people on the outside. And you're teaching about murder. <laughs> you're teaching about how to live and how to be a good person and how to go to heaven. You're so good with your social image. You're so good about carrying yourself a certain way at work. You're so good about the way people see you at church, at home. You're so mindful of that. You want to make a good impression all the time. You're an image manager. And you're saying all the right things. <clears throat> but God sees your heart. You see that? Make sure everybody can see that. God sees your heart. And God cares about your inside. Have you ever tried to live 
a God-honoring life like this? I have. It's hard. It's because it's who you are on the inside, right? It's who you are on the inside. <clears throat> and, it, and if inside you've got greed and lust and anger and, and malice and all of the other vices that, you know, God wants you to, you know, <clears throat> clean by the work of his Holy Spirit, but you got all this stuff inside of you. And if that's what's inside of you, you can try and you can try and you can try. But eventually, very quickly, you come to the reality that this is who you are. This is who you are. Um, growing up, my dad had a really bad, my stepdad, who I love, had a really bad temper. And I remember my mom saying, that's just who he is. I always thought that was a lame excuse. I think she was theologically right, though. That's just who she is. It's just who she is, or he is. Um, and, and when you try to live a life, a God-honoring good life, but this is who you are on the inside, it's very frustrating. You feel defeated. You're like, I'm trying to do the right thing. I, I know I should go to church. I know I should read the Bible. I know I shouldn't look at that. I know I shouldn't say this. I know I shouldn't respond this way. I know I shouldn't do this, and I know I shouldn't treat him like this, and I know I shouldn't, but you know what? It's just easy, and truthfully, it kind of feels good. It kind of feels good. And Jesus is saying, you know what? You guys are talking about this. Do not murder, and that's, you're right. But I say, but I say, God wants all of you. God wants all of you. Jesus is teaching us this. If you let God clean your inside, then your outside will take care of itself. Here's the challenge. <clears throat> you know, when you're at home in the kitchen, you clean the inside really well, and I bet it'll be really hard for you to tolerate anything dirty on the outside because the inside is so clean. It'll be easy for you to say, Psh, well, the outside's got to be clean. The inside, look how much work I put in. It's got to be clean. But you, you flip that around, and if you let the inside be dirty, when you're washing dishes, if you let the inside be dirty, do you know how easy it will be for you to let the outside be dirty too? It'll be easy because the inside's dirty. But if you let God clean your inside, and you say, God, take care of this in my heart, it doesn't feel good, it doesn't feel right, this superiority complex that I have, this pride that I have inside of me, God, this greed, would you just take care of it, God, inside of my heart? This is, I'm not helping me, it's not helping my marriage, it's not helping. All of a sudden, let me just tell you, if you let God take care of the inside, the outside will really take care of itself. It won't be work. It'll just be natural. And Jesus starts talking about this anger. There's different Greek words for anger in the New Testament. There's, there's three. Um, one of them has to do with seething and raging and boiling and turbulent commotion. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So that's that boiling agitation of feelings of rage. 
Okay, that's one. Another type refers to this irritation, exasperation, embitterment. You're provoked by someone. It's like being with someone and they just get under your skin. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, you just are fed up with them, what they're saying, what they're doing. They're lazy. Whatever it is, it ticks you off. You're like, I cannot handle this anymore. Paul says this, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the who church? Devil. Um, Maybe you have to learn this, because if you grew up in a home where there was a lot of anger, maybe the rule was, Whoever yells the loudest is the right, rightest, right? <laughs> whoever, lo- whoever outlasts the other person wins. And it's not about winning or losing. It's not about winning or losing. Um, Gary Smalley said, unresolved anger in your home is more toxic than the radon gas. You ever been, in, I mean, we've all been there before. We're in a home, in our home. What is it, the office at home or school, whatever it is, but you're, let's just say you're home, and, and someone is upset at you, and doesn't it affect the whole house? You know what I mean? It affects the whole house, and you might go into your separate corners, I mean rooms, for a little bit, and then you come back, you're like, gosh, we have to eat together, or I'm not sure, or we have to, gosh, I've got to talk, should I talk? And, and, and some people have so much anger inside of them that they can go hours, maybe even days under the same home and not talk to the other person. If that's you, that reveals more about your character than the issue at hand. Shows that you're an unruly person. You cannot control your temper. You've allowed that anger to affect your heart. And you're living life like this and you're allowing it and maybe you even enjoy it and it becomes where your, your whole goal is that that other person just hurts, that other person feels it, and you're going to inflict it, so you're going to ignore them, or you're going to be passive-aggressive, or whatever it may be, and until you feel like they've adequately experienced their wrongness and your wrath, then eventually you'll do something kind for them to show them the time is up. That's not God's, that's not pleasing to God at all. It's not pleasing to God at all. God wants to cleanse your heart. He wants to cleanse your heart. <clears throat> Sometimes even the ability to, the anger is so, such a concern, it could affect it, the relationship in, in crazy ways where one person knows that maybe this, you know, I don't want to pick on the husband or the wife, but <clears throat> let's pick on the husband. Let's do that. Let's, let's say the wife knows that if I talk about this with the husband, he's going to go off. So that we know what the wife does many times. She says, well, I'm just not going to talk about it. The problem doesn't go away. There still needs to be reconciling and processing and, you know, because if it's a problem for her, it's a problem. If it's a problem for him, it's a problem. But we live in a culture that we don't even know how to talk about stuff. And we, if we talk about it, we just get angry. Well, maybe we should just talk. Maybe we're on the same side. <clears throat> maybe we're on the same side. So the fear of you're going to get angry could prevent or hurt a a marriage, could hurt a relationship. And really, anger is one of those things when someone gets angry, it's it's a, you know, you start knowing that he's getting angry. 
Last night, my dog was just going Cujo on me. And he was just, he, he was like growling at me and I grabbed him by the ear. And I was like, no, I don't like your eyes being dilated at me right now. You know what I'm saying? That's not cool. And I took him to the crate and Grace was like saying, be careful, be careful. She's the voice of reason. And I put him in the crate. I was like, I'm careful. And then I kicked him as hard as I could. No, I didn't do that. But I closed the gate and I said like, no biting, be careful. But I kept hearing my wife's words, be careful. She just knows me. See, what you don't, there was a time in my life I just had so much anger. Maybe you'd never know that. I had so much anger. My dad left me when I was seven years old, and my mom remarried, and I had a lot of anger inside of me. You know what I mean? <laughs> I had a lot of anger inside of me. And uh, the, Lord, the Lord did a work inside of me, and, and I realized, wow, I have this, this is... <clears throat> You know, when, when you live like this, the scary thing is you know what you're capable of doing. You know where you could go. You may live like this, and you may be able to fool people for a while, but deep down inside of your heart, you know who you are, and you know you can go there. You know you can go there. But when God cleanses you on the inside, it changes your disposition. It changes your temperament. I was talking to someone recently, and, and they, they would get angry at work a lot. And uh, at our men's retreat, we did our soul walk, and this person put anger on there and burned it in the fire when we were up there. And that's just, they told me, you know what, ever since I did that, God is just taking it out of my heart. God is just taking it out of my heart. There's nothing wrong with anger, but <clears throat> you don't let it get a hold of you. Proverbs 14 says this, a quick-tempered person does foolish things been there before <clears throat> you know it's not fun to watch an angry person do dishes did you know that You've been there before it's just not fun everything's louder the dishes are probably cleaner though but everything else is louder James says, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. We just totally invert that because we have a right. We're entitled. Maybe that's called, that's called pride. That's called sin. We're not quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. <clears throat> it takes a while for us to listen. And we're quick to speak. And we're quick to get angry. Because I deserve it. Next time you run across an angry person, remember this. <clears throat> a gentle answer turns away wrath. A gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Anger needs anger to survive. It feeds on each other. So anger's good. You know, when you, it's good to know something's irritating someone, and that's, that's a sign. You, you look at that person, and you're like, oh, your body language changed, your tone of voice changed. I can tell that that bothers you. That's okay. I mean, that's a sign. Hey, I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> what am I missing? What's happening here? You know, that's, that's, okay, let me tell you. This bothered me when, whatever. That's okay. And you talk about it. You process it. But when that person loses it, and you have a, just a boiling person on your hand, and they're just spewing it, supercharged words at you and you can tell there's no filter 
and there's no longer any effort to restrain. Do you know what I'm talking about? That person lets it go. And they're not, they're okay with letting it go. The worst thing you can do is match them toe-to-toe with anger. Because you'll be exhausted. They'll be exhausted. A lot of things will be said that shouldn't be said. And you'll be asking for forgiveness, or you'll be saying, I'm sorry, or you'll be saying, my bad, tomorrow. So rather than doing that, make it a gentle answer. <clears throat> you can say, wow, you're really beautiful in your anger. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever it is, respond in a gentle way. Jesus said, but I say. But I say. God, thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you, God. You're so good, Lord. And <clears throat> Maybe your first step is to ask Jesus in your heart. And if that's you, would you say this? Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. And today I want to become a Christian. Take all of me. All right, guys. Maybe you got to, maybe you got to, you're like that Taco Bell cup and you need to ask God to clean you on the inside. Let's do this. Tell God, God. Clean me on the inside. I'm pretty dirty. I've got some stains in there. Holy Spirit, cleanse me on the inside. Holy Spirit, clean me on the inside. And even remove the stains of what was there. Holy Spirit, take out the anger. Holy Spirit, take out the lust, the malice, the pain, the hurt. Clean me on the inside, God. I know you see everything. God, help me to live that life that you called me to live. I want to get to know you. God, I just pray that every soul here has an encounter with you, even during the week, wherever they're at, whether they're in their car, at home on a walk, whatever, would you speak to every soul in a special way, God? May they sense your presence. I pray for your peace and your love over every home, God. And I pray that when anger does happen, which is normal, I pray that there's great healthy processing too, Lord, and that you, Jesus, are the center of it. In your will, Jesus, is the driving force. Thank you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.